Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again, everyone, here on the 20th of July. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmela Burge this morning as we start Hour 2 of the program. So delightful, as always, to be with all of you, with Paul Perot in studio, who does a great job of producing this show each and every day as we start out with some of the headlines and look at them from some Christian angles as well in some ways that can be encouraging and hopeful for us as believers. And very excited for our first guest here in this hour, Paul, and Dr. Brett Nix of the Christian Medical and Dental Association, because there are... It seems, again, so many COVID headlines mm-hmm. emerging on the scene. I was at a wedding this weekend, and it was a beautiful wedding. I'll do some reflecting on it. Tomorrow, there's a Faith Radio listener, and her whole family were all there, and it was just phenomenal to see all of it. But one of the things I was so delighted in being at the wedding and had forgotten about how wonderful a celebration can be where maybe we actually can spend time in close quarters with each other, where there was a dance, and there was just this fabulous celebration that that I thought, oh, gosh, maybe we're getting to the other side of this in some sense of normalcy. But I had to contrast that with so many of the headlines that seem to be coming out that are once again inundating us with just COVID, COVID, COVID everywhere. Some of it has to do with some of the controversy about how masks should be utilized this fall as young Mm -hmm. people are going back to school. We're seeing some sort of of even kind of national guidelines from some quarters, but they're in contrast with other guidelines (laughs) that young people should be wearing masks going back to school. We see that some universities are starting to mandate mask wearing for their students. Or or vaccinations, or some are not. Exactly. So there's just, there's so much going there. And then, of course, we have these different variants. And and uh, there's a Delta variant. I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with it that uh, I'll definitely ask Dr. Brett Nix about in just a minute in terms uh, of our susceptibility to that, even if we have been fully vaccinated as well. There's a Lambda variant and there's just disturbing headlines everywhere. So it's one of those things is just a reminder that this pandemic may not be over just yet and and that we need to be careful in terms of how we call out the news because you have one political party that is celebrating the idea that we should not do anything related to COVID and you have the other side of it seeming to want to lock everybody down and just again the, the voices that we listen to in terms of what is some wisdom in the midst of this really matters at the end of the day. It really does and then as you're mentioning the CDC guidelines now my wife is a second grade teacher. Right. And, you know, going through the last year, masks on and, and all that, it was hard. Yeah. Um, it, part of it, too, is you got to remember kids at that age, as they're learning, they're still learning how to speak well. Right. And, and so it's hard to understand. So when yeah. you have mouths covered, they're, they're not... They're not seeing the subtleties or catching the subtleties. You're talking through a mask for a little kid. Long term can, you know can lead to, I don't want to say mush mouth, but yeah. they're not learning to articulate as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I heard some from some teachers this weekend, too. Those are some of the people I sympathize with the most heading yeah. into it because it is really difficult to figure out how to navigate this within the school environments. If you have some questions at all about COVID or sort of where things are, different policies, different ideas this morning, I'm sure that uh, you can text them into studio and we'll look through those questions as well as we welcome Brett Nix into the program in just a moment. Again, that phone number, if you listen regularly, you know, is 877-933-2484. Any questions that you have about COVID, we'll take them up next with Dr. Brett Nix. 
Well, it sure is timely to welcome Dr. Brett next into this conversation with so many of the headlines about COVID. Good morning, Brett. Hey, good morning. How are you this morning? Well, doing well. Lots to sort through. We're already getting so, quite a few texts from listeners coming in as well, just some different questions about COVID. But why don't we start with just an update in terms of the Delta variant on the rise? I know that this has been happening outside of the United States for quite a while in different countries, but it's now come to our shores as well. And it seems to be the most pervasive strain of the of coronavirus. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, a major concern right now is the Delta variant. And you'll hear about this in the news. And, you know, it's been described as a highly contagious virus strain, of course, but part of the SARS-CoV that we've known for the last year and a half. Uh, first identified in India in December and then swept quickly across the Great Britain uh, throughout much of Europe. Uh, and, of course, now when you saw the first Delta case in the U.S. was marked back in March of this year, it has now become the dominant strain in the U.S. And for those who have been watching the news or at least following online and different platforms, whether the Johns Hopkins uh, monitoring station or not, the last week marked the fourth consecutive week that the number of newly confirmed COVID cases has increased globally. Uh, we had not seen that until uh, probably the early portions of, uh, of June as the Delta variant started to have substantial increase. But now we're looking at the same situation here within the U.S., which is over the last two to three weeks, we've noted an increase in cases and hospitalizations similar to what we saw over a year ago. And the question is why? The Delta variant is more contagious than the previous strains. We've seen that within the Europe database. And, of course, what do we know to be true? That the unvaccinated are the people that are most at risk. And it is interesting to see uh, in terms of even the vaccinated people as well. My understanding is that they are contracting the Delta variant. It seems to be breaking through the vaccination status of people. But my also my understanding alongside of that is that the uh, the worst effects are mitigated a bit, that people don't get as sick if they do have the vaccine. That's absolutely true. And, you know, it's one of these challenges where you may have heard some have, have claimed that this new pandemic, as they're referring to with the Delta variant, is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. To your point, when you look at the data that's out there, and the data is varied depending on uh, the location that's doing the study, uh, but the Pfizer vaccine has been identified to be about 88% effective against symptomatic disease uh, and 96% effective against hospitalizations from the Delta in some studies. Um, the AstraZeneca one that we know from the UK uh, and that was used in India was only about 60% effective against symptomatic disease. And there goes the reason that we're seeing those areas that had this as their predominant vaccine uh, having such issues as far as the Delta variant. But to your point, those that are vaccinated, you can still get the Delta variant, but the probabilities of having severe disease is incredibly low. And for us, that is incredibly reassuring in the, in the medical profession as well as for anybody that's listening to this broadcast. Yeah, we have a bunch of listener texts coming in that are relevant to this conversation, but just one more quick question here, Brett, and that uh, has to do with another variant. We, we Obviously, Delta variant is not going to be the last variant of this. We're probably going to run out of letters before we run out of variants, right? And so um, this Lambda variant, I haven't actually heard much about this, but give us a little clue on what's happening here. Yeah, the Lambda variant is a predominant variant that came out of South Africa, or pardon me, South America, Peru predominantly. Uh, it's been around for a while. And again, with every single one of these variants, recognize viruses change. They mutate. And with each mutation, uh, there's a change in how our body's immune system recognizes it. And so each of the vaccines has been created based on the variants that were available at that time. There is going to be overlap. It still is a SARS-CoV 
two virus. Uh, it's still this beta coronavirus that we know. But with each of these variants, the question is, is how is it going to mutate and into what populations is it going to have the greatest effect? What we do know to be true at this point in time, and again, as you stated, there's going to be more variants. There are more variants, and we'll have to continue to follow and learn about them as they come out, is simply this. The vaccines that we have are our best effort at this point forward for our immune systems to be ready for whatever comes, number one. Number two, if you are a person that are at the extremes of age, the very young, the very old, and those that have underlying chronic conditions that put you at risk, those are the ones that have the greatest risk, regardless of the variant. And we know that to be true, whether this is the Delta, whether it's the Alpha, or whether it's the Lambda that we're following out of, out of South America. Yeah, we have a couple of questions coming in about the difference between having antibodies versus having the vaccine as well. And so what would you say, Brett, about people in terms of their protection level, if they had COVID and now have the antibodies, how effective are those antibodies versus maybe getting the vaccine? That's a great question. I think that's one that uh, we continue to look at. Uh, there are ongoing studies of people who have had the COVID virus and continue to track to see, hey, what is the body's immune response and how long are they holding on to these antibodies such that the body that has been created by God that has an amazing immune system that has these memory cells and things that can recognize having past illnesses and preventing uh, future illnesses from being severe and balancing that with the vaccine to say, how is your immune response after these vaccines? What's fascinating about this is the answer is yes, both of them work, but everybody's body is different. Some people who have, let's say, vaccines related to, if you work in the healthcare field, hepatitis B vaccines. You go through a series of shots, and over time, they track to see that you have an immune response. Some people have to have a second or a third booster downstream after the completion of the series to ensure that they have adequate protection. Uh, we will find in time that there's going to be a process related to uh, boosters that are going to be upcoming. Uh, that information has not yet been released as to, hey, if you had your initial shot back in January and you had your subsequent vaccination in February, at what point do we need to have a booster? Will that be coming out this fall when our flu shots come out? It's quite possible that we will be looking at the process of having boosters at that point in time. You know, and one thing I do want to point out, I know that there were some concerns uh, in some recent conversations about, hey, I've got some young kids that are in that 12 to 18 range that had been cleared here in the U.S. for the Pfizer vaccine. You know, recognize that uh, a vaccine, a vaccination is incredibly important in that age group. Uh, and there were some that got one vaccine. There are some that received two. You know, there's been some studies out of Israel that said, hey, at this age, even if they had one vaccine, they have mounted a very good immune response. The second, yes, is better. But even if they had one, they're in a very good state. And so, you know, sometimes we'll hear people say, hey, I haven't had a chance to get my second vaccine yet. That's OK. At least you had your first one. You're in a good space. But if you have the opportunity to complete your series, that acts as that essential booster that will allow your immune system to be that much stronger. And Brett, I uh, was diagnosed with COVID sometime in around late March or so. I've gone in twice since then and was tested for antibodies and both times it came back negative. So um, is, there, is there a trustworthiness in one version of the test versus another? Is there a way to explain that I wouldn't have tested positive for the antibodies when I did test positive for COVID? Yeah, it's a great question. So the reality as it comes down to is there are tests that we do that look at the level of antibodies. It doesn't necessarily mean that you may not have a appropriate immune response if you should be re-exposed to it. But what it does is it gives different types of processes and there's different things that they're looking at. There's different types of antibodies. So it's not just did you have antibodies, but which antibodies were, there, were they testing? And that gets into a really pretty substantial scientific discussion. But again, as it states before, 
many of us, myself included, as a medical professional, I continued to do these even after I had my vaccinations where the first month after I had my vaccination, my home antibody test triggered a positive. After my second immunization, I triggered positive. Two months later, the tests that I was doing no longer showed those antibodies. But again, recognize it's the type of antibodies that they're looking at specifically. But that doesn't mean that your body's immune system is still not able to fight uh, a infection should you have one or decrease the likelihood of you having significant symptoms should you become ill. The, the body's immune system, once it's had that exposure, holds on to that process and a memory cell type of capacity that allows your body to do well. But again, we recognize that over time it fades, and that's why we have the conversations around boosters. Hmm. Well, Brad, we have a whole basket of listener questions. We're going to step away for just a minute and come back. I think you're going to have to stay with us until about noon, though, this morning to cover all of the listener <laughs> questions. If you do have a question about COVID this morning, we'd love to hear from you. We'll cover a few more after the break in just a second. But go ahead and text the studio at 877-933-2484. More to come with Dr. Dr. Brett Nix. Welcome back to the show. The text line is certainly blowing up with a lot of different questions here. So I know, Brett, we had a number of different topics to cover, but I think it'd be great to just stay here with the listeners, especially one just texted in and said, thank you very much, Dr. Brett Nix, for the conversation today. Glad you're asking and people are asking a lot of questions and things I've wondered about. And I think, Brett, it boils down to we don't really know what source of information to look towards that that doesn't maybe necessarily have an agenda attached to it. So some of what you're offering this morning, hopefully, is carving out some middle space or just saying, hey, Here's the data. Here's what we're looking at. This is our best shot. But but you're not trying to push a political agenda one way or the other, right? No, I think what we have to understand is anytime we have something that's new in healthcare, you have to look at the data that's out there. And what we know at the beginning of something may very well be different after a few months into process. And what we learned uh, in the early stages of COVID to what we know now is exponentially different, especially now post the immunization period, uh, the different types of vaccines that have come out. Uh, what we have seen because of the vaccines as far as the, the substantial decline uh, in cases and now with this new variant, the Delta that we've been talking about, it's fascinating because the World Health, Organization, World Health Organization calls this version of the virus the fastest and the fittest, which is quite interesting because I know we were talking a bit offline. Many times we think about mutations as something that decreases uh, the virulence of a virus but may increase and or not change the level of its contagion, how quickly it can, it can move across the population base. And I think one of the things we have to keep in mind is everything that we're seeing within this COVID process, this COVID variant right now, highlights the most at-risk populations. And so if you're looking at the numbers that are increasing and the areas where our uh, COVID cases are increasing and the hospitalization are increasing, these are in the unvaccinated. These are in the most vulnerable populations. And so it's really difficult to say that this Delta variant is indeed much stronger and, and much more virulent, or is it just that it is more contagious and it just happens to be going after those that are the most at risk? And I suspect that based on the historical features that we know within science as it relates to viruses and mutations, that's likely the case. Yeah. Okay. A few more questions here, too. I know a listener just wrote in and said, I'm not vaccinated. Can you ask the doctor? how to best protect themselves without the vaccine? Well, it's a great question. And, you know, the bottom line as it relates to this is common sense should drive your decisions. This is not something that you should be paralyzed by, that you should be, you know, fearful of, of life and in, in, in in uh, getting out and going about the processes that you do on a daily basis. Uh, but the important things around this actually do matter. Number one, hand washing. 
going through a typical process of, of your cleaning aspects of things when you're out, outdoors and have exposures. If you're going to the grocery store and it happens to be uh, something that you do on a routine basis, go in the off hours where there's not as many people. Make sure that you're wiping things down um, because it's typically the, the context that we don't think about that are everyday occurrences that actually put you most at risk. If you're going into a large, large crowded space because you have to, you know what, there's value in, in masking up in there. And most of the time, the masks are more to protect those that are around you should you have those symptoms. Uh, but the more important thing about a mask is what does it allow you to do? It protects your face. It prevents you from touching your face. And you have that process there. And again, how do we inoculate most commonly? We touch a surface that may or may not be contaminated. If it is contaminated, we reach up, we touch our face, we rub our eyes. Those are the ways that we end up finding this. And so when you think about it, the things that we know to be true, hand washing. Uh, if you are somebody who is, in a, is a, a, a vulnerable population uh, with your underlying risks or if you have some autoimmune issues or uh, other components that are, your doctors have said, hey, you know what, you should be uh, taking a higher level of precautions, then make sure that when you're going to do things that you avoid the larger crowded spaces, go at the off hours as stated before. Uh, but again, common sense should play these things out. It's the things that you were doing a year ago uh, to keep yourself safe. And if you were able to do so and do well during that previous time, continue to do those now. So maybe we can do a little COVID lightning round here because we just have a few minutes left to try to get to a few more questions. I know for me, my attention span for washing my hands lasts about two and a half seconds. Uh, is hand sanitizer just a big dose of that as effective as washing for 30 seconds? It's not as effective. It is good. But keep in mind, when you hand wash, you have the ability for the cleaning products and the water to go ahead and wash over the complete surfaces of your hand. When you use hand sanitizer, you typically get the major contact points only. And so you really don't do as good of a job unless you are very, very fastidious with your hand sanitizer, making sure you get in between, you get in the areas around your fingernails. And for those who have fingernails, if you really are somebody who's concerned about this, keep them trimmed. This is not a time to grow glorious nails and not clean underneath them. Again, a horrible spot as far as a harbinger of infection. Hmm. Maybe I can combine a couple of these questions here, Brett. One of them would be around some of the health risks because they're they're not minor, some of them that people are coming down with. If uh, they do get vaccinated, we, we see some myocarditis among young people. I know that we've had that conversation with my 21-year-old uh, male child as well, some of the risks associated with that. But also, too, are there some preventative kinds of interventions that we can do? I'm not entirely sure I know how to prevent, uh, pronounce Invermectin. Uh, I'm probably close on that, but people are talking about some information coming out that maybe there's ways to prevent yourself from getting the virus that don't have to do with the vaccine. Yeah, ivermectin has been one that has been tossed around a good bit. Again, some of the studies coming out of South America specifically related to it. At this point in time, it's not something that I'm going to say, hey, you know what, you should go ahead and, and, and go purchase and have some on hand. Um, it's a little bit unclear as it relates to it. Recognize it's a uh, antiparasitic medication uh, and exactly how that is a preventative process uh, has been uh, highly debated up to this point. At this point, probably not. The bottom line is the simple things that uh, that we know to be true, which is this. God created our bodies to do an amazing job of caring for itself, but to do so requires rest, requires exercise. It requires decreasing the level of stress, which means time in prayer and meditation um, and eating well. So keep in mind the basis of how you eat protects your body. You know, if you are somebody who routinely says, you know, I eat pretty well, but maybe not as well, adding in a multivitamin, adding in things that are antiviral uh, and that are immune boosting, things like vitamin C, you've heard stories about zinc, you've heard stories about vitamin D, recognizing vitamin D is of peak capacity when you actually have exposure to sunlight. So making sure that you're outside and getting some activity. And you mentioned before some of the simple things 
the immunogenicity issues that we have with second doses and myocarditis recognize that this is really uh, a relatively rare circumstance. Do we see it? Yes. Uh, but again, that should not be a reason not to be immunized. But at the same point in time, keep in mind that after your vaccinations, the typical things you're going to find are going to be true. You're going to have fevers or you may have some soreness in that area. You may have some chills. If your symptoms progress beyond that, obviously touch base with your doctor. And the last thing as it relates to it, recognize that with each variant that comes out, the types of symptoms that may be related to it will change. And we're going to learn more about this Delta variant and what types of symptoms. But it appears that the issues related to taste that we saw before are probably not as common. Uh, but there will be other things as well. Yeah, great stuff, boy. The the texts are coming in, just being really grateful for the common sense approach. Lack of political agenda is what I'm seeing. Uh, last one I can leave you with, Brett. I'm a new doctor and have all of this info fresh off the press and mentioning again several studies that showing vitamin D deficiency has led to COVID susceptibility. So there's a lot of information. You covered a lot of ground in about 16 minutes. We really appreciate all the insight, wisdom, and again, unbiased approach to this. Well, you know, it's one of these things that uh, it's good to be informed and it's important to know that the basis of your information is the data that's good, available, and again, focusing on the things that matter most. More importantly, the fact that we should be living every single day to its fullest and being in awe of what God has created. Yeah, well, thanks again for all of the, the insight you offered and we'll look forward to catching up again soon, Brett. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, we'll take a short break. And bottom of the hour news, Kara Whitney, author of Fields of Grace, will join us in the last half of this hour. And we'll talk a little bit about lessons from our faith that we can learn while on the farm. Well, the texts keep coming in, and I just so agree with so many of the things that are being said here. Dr. Brett Nix was so helpful uh, just talking about uh, some of the different dimensions of COVID from a fair perspective. He's uh, Text come in saying that the discussion was an answer to prayer for me. Haven't been ready to vaccinate yet, so appreciate your approach and the timely info as well. I felt the same thing with him. So nice to get all the info without the political agenda. Another listener, it's an answer to prayer as well. And then Jim wrote in and remind me that there is actually a word for male child, and that would be son. Apparently, I ran out of words when I was describing my 21-year-old Caleb. And uh, yes, son would be wild appropriate. So Jim, thanks for the fun and the teasing. I, I was going to tease you back about, you know, no, you're not woke. You're just barely awake. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> oh, exactly I didn't want to say that. Oh, did I yeah, say that? Even PhDs oh. can get confused with single-syllable words describing your child. And that is me in a nutshell right there. Well, it was a great conversation. And up next, we'll continue what we've been doing here in this hour, but we'll change the topic over to some lessons we can learn on the farm with author Kara Whitney. She is a former radio show host as well as the wife of Larry the Cable Guy, and she has some really great insights about the simple things of our faith that matter. There's a reason the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. Your future matters more than your past. This is Max Licato. God's grace is greater than your sin. You thought the problem was your calendar, your marriage, your job. In reality, it's this unresolved guilt. Don't indulge it. Don't drown in the bilge of your own condemnation. What you did was not good, but your God is good, and He will forgive you. He's ready to write a new chapter in your life. Say with Paul, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us. Your salvation has nothing to do with your work and everything to do with the finished work of Christ on the cross. Rejoice in the Lord's mercy. This is Max Lucado.
Welcome back to the show. It's about 20 minutes for the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge in studio here with Paul Perot. And for this conversation, Paul, I have to say, Carmen's got to be pretty disappointed being, yeah, I know. being all things farm she, that she is. She She's took missing. vacation at the wrong time. She did, but it's the right time for us. We're going to welcome Kara Whitney into the program who wrote a book called Fields of Grace and Lessons That We Can Learn on the Farm. Good morning, Kara. Good morning. It's great to have you on the program. I know you grew up on a farm. Uh, it sounds like in northern Wisconsin. And then you went to Las Vegas. I'm sure it was a lateral move. And I'm sure Vegas was very similar to northern Wisconsin, right? Yeah, it's uh, very similar. Lots of trees and lakes <laughs> out there. Uh, you know, uh, it uh, it took a while to get out to Vegas. You know, as you know, in radio, you got to sort of build up. But yeah, I ended up out in Las Vegas. So and then uh, from that place, though, you decided to go back to some of your roots. So tell us a little bit about why you made the change to head not to Wisconsin this time, but to a horse farm in Nebraska. What were you chasing? And I assume there was some of it, at least outside looking in, that was kind of the allure of, a, of what you thought might be a simpler life. You know, I uh, would take like 10 percent of all of my paychecks in Las Vegas and I would invest it with the hope that one day I would end up with um, – you know, some sort of hobby farm or something, a couple cows and horses and whatnot. Um, how I ended up in Nebraska, my husband's from Nebraska, and I knew I wanted to raise my kids, uh, you know, in a smaller town. Um, so that's actually how we ended up in Nebraska. It's sort of the center of everything, and um, there's not a lot of people around. I mean, I want to see people saved, but I also need my space. <laughs> Uh, we should at least mention for our listeners who may be familiar that your husband, Dan, is better known as Larry the Cable Guy. Remind me again, Kara, when, when Larry the Cable Guy was all the rage in our country? Yeah, well, that was, uh, well, you know, he's still all the rage. Oh, of course, I'm sorry. Yeah, Dan, Dan would never be irrelevant. I mean, Larry the Cable Guy is, <laughs> is nearly yeah. immortal in, in our country. So, Yeah, you know what? He was... I would say the height of his popularity was probably 2004, 2005 um, in there. And, you know, we raised our kids in a tour bus for the first five years of their existence. So, uh, you know, because you kind of strike while the iron's hot because, you know, uh, one day it might not be. So uh, we threw them in a tour bus and we were sort of this redneck partridge family going from city to city. So 200 and some days a year, I would say we were in that bus. So. That's amazing. And and you then did make the move to this farm and uh, again, in search of this sort of simple life. And I know outside looking in, my wife Hallie and I have wanted to have a similar kind of farm. The chickens have been kind of the, the gateway livestock for us. And it, it appears it's going to be um, a really sort of fun, easy, sort of simple life. But you've had to learn some things as a result of it. And one of those things is the idea of letting go. And I'm really curious what you mean by that, Kara, in this book, Fields of Grace, what what are you learning to let go of as you went into the farm, and how does that help your, your spiritual journey? Well, I would say I, I started learning it as a as a kid on the farm. You know, I, I have a hobby farm, so no one has to be eaten here. <laughs> At least I don't think so. I don't know what the future holds. But, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I would raise all these bottle calves, knowing that in the fall they were going to have to uh, go to the feedlot, and then uh, a year later from there, uh, I would have to load them on the, the truck to head to the market. And it was always hard, but it's not a bad thing. It's going to feed somebody. Um, you know, at the time, too, in my personal life, I, I we homeschooled our kids in a 
homeschool group and there were some things going on. So I correlated the two, you know, we, some parents left and, and, uh, and I was fighting for them to stay, but I also knew that God had them and then it was okay to let go. Um, because there's good things ahead for us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I'm curious, too, just even in some of that letting go process, I it just it recalled to mind um, some of the stories from the Old Testament about why the Israelites would be prone to worship the god Baal, because they saw Baal as being in charge of the fertility of the land and the hopes of the land and, and the health of the livestock and all of that. When you're on a farm, there really are quite a few variables that are outside of your control that will relate to the health of your animals or your crops. Did you learn some of that in terms of just having to lean into the uncertainty of things and that trust the trust that God would work things out? You know, I learned the character of God um, through my animals. And over time, uh, I've learned to trust him. I think that was my biggest obstacle. Uh, I was always taught self-reliance. And so you know, just learning the character of God, that he is good, um, that I could trust him, uh, but also, too, that I don't need to help him out hmm. in any way. So if I want to try to, if I want a particular outcome, um, it's not up to me. I ha- I just have to trust him that if I don't get what I want, it's probably because it's really not good for me. You know, there's a, there's a lot going on. That's why there's so many chapters. I mean, there's a lot of layers there to unpack, but uh, I would say my biggest thing on the farm is learning the character of God. Mm. Yeah, we're talking with Carrie Whitney this morning. She's author of Fields of Grace. It's book available. It uh, came out on June 1st, 2021. Highly recommended as a as sort of a look at our faith within the simplicity, but also the variability of working life on a farm. And you moved from Vegas to this farm, as we've already referenced, Kara, and and. How was this life different from maybe, maybe sort of the crazy spinning world that was Las Vegas or some of the bustling ways in which we tend to live? Did you did you settle back into something different in terms of a rhythm of life? You know, the hardest thing after I left Las Vegas was that I just couldn't go buy something that I wanted at 3 a.m. <laughs> you know, everything closed down. You know, in Las Vegas, I'd be like, oh, I want uh, sushi. It's 2 a.m. I'm going out, you know. Um so things slowed down for me. And I guess I realized that I was 24 seven, whereas here I had to get more into a, uh, probably what you would call a normal routine, but this was the life I wanted. Now keep in mind, Peter, I was not a believer when I moved here. Hmm. Yeah. I, I discovered, uh, my creator on this farm. Um, and I, I was not raised in a Christian home, nothing. So uh, I didn't know Easter had anything to do with Jesus until I was probably in my 20s. Wow. Yeah, I just, I had not, none of it. I mean, my parents, two parents, they were great people, the whole, the whole jam, but there wasn't, there was no, nothing to do with God in my life. Hmm. Um, of course, I had a, a great marriage my kids were great. Everything was great, but there was still something missing. I even had my hobby farm at this point. So everything I, I, that were my goals that I, that I thought would make me happy. I, I was happy. Things were great, but I, there was something missing. That's when I discovered Jesus. Right. So 
Well, you have me hooked here, and we're going to step away for just a second, but I'm so curious how you found Jesus in the midst of running the hobby farm and, and what sort of persuaded you to say yes to following him. So let's step away for just a minute. When we come back, I'm going to ask you that question about how you came to faith through the farm. There's Welcome back to the show. It's about 11 minutes for the top of the hour, and we're chatting with author Kara Whitney and her book, Fields of Grace, Lesson Learns in the Farm about Faith. And Kara, this was not part of my prep sheet. I had no idea that you became a believer while on the farm. So you left me a, a bit as a, in a cliffhanger here. It's like the end of season one of a Netflix episode. Tell us about what happened yeah. here. Well, so there was a hole in my heart, and I was like, what is missing? So I knew it had to be something spiritual. Well, if you don't have any baseline for it, all things, you know, you, you're yep. kind of told all roads lead to God, the whole the whole lie, right? But I was like, well, let me uh, first delve into Jesus because, you know, he's the most prominent in our culture. And so I started, what is the crux of our faith? Well, it's the resurrection. Hmm. If that didn't happen, none of this means anything. So I studied the resurrection and you know, Peter, there is so much evidence that that is true. And so I made the commitment to follow Jesus. Now, because of my trust issues, which I spoke of earlier, um, it did take me a while for my heart to warm up to that. So I had to say, Lord, you're in control. I don't want to be. Um, that was my verse, First Peter 5, 7. I was mm. like, cast your cares on him because he cares about you. I think it was just so hard for me to um, just understand how much God loves us, right? Yeah. Um, I, because I I went through this huge period of my life thinking if there is a God, I've probably missed my window of opportunity to be in any sort of a relationship with him. In fact, when I was in radio in Las Vegas, I asked someone about, the church they were attending, and I was told flat out, you can't come because you're not a member. And so it was very, um, I thought maybe I was created for evil. You know, I just didn't yeah. have any any idea. So when I studied the resurrection, and you know, also, I was in Las Vegas back when Blockbuster was still in business, and I rented The Passion of the Christ. Now, keep in mind, at this point, I'm working in rock radio in Las Vegas, um, and I rented that thing like it was a porno or something, hmm. because I was I was just, I don't know, I would say it was shame, right? Yeah. I went home and I watched it, and uh, you know, when Jesus said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they're doing, That it was at that moment where I thought, well, I think I'm okay. Like, I think I have a chance anyway. But even after that, it still took me probably five years to sit down, study the resurrection and, and come to have this relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I think that's a profound comment, Kara, because and we were just talking with some friends over dinner last night a little bit, too, is that uh, obviously the passion and the suffering of the Christ is so central to our faith on that Friday. And, and the reconciliation that was done, the taking on uh, of sin, but without the resurrection, as you've referenced, our faith doesn't really work because it was in those moments that Jesus actually broke forever the power of sin and death, and we really can begin to live a different kind of life. It's fascinating that you found that sort of on your own as you were sort of snooping around in, in your 20s and, and working through this without any kind of background. What what an incredible witness to that. 
Well, that's this book, Fields of Grace. I, I put my farm stories in there and I correlate it uh, with stories I think people can understand. But really, the whole book, Peter, is about evangelism. You know, it's so funny because I wanted to put something about evangelism on the title of the book. And they were like, well, evangelism's kind of an off putting word. So. <laughs> They were like, how about Fields of Grace? And I was like, great. How about I make chapter one about evangelism being a dirty word? <laughs> Good for you. You know, so, yeah, because uh, this isn't a career for me. I don't consider myself an author. I consider myself an evangelist. Mm-hmm. Like, those opportunities, people could have shared Christ with me, um, were missed opportunities. And I— and. I, even now, some of the biggest regrets in my life, I, and I wasn't a believer at the time, was all the encounters that I had with people in Las Vegas when I could have just extended a hand, picked, literally picked them up off the floor and said, you don't need to live like this. There is a God in heaven who loves you. You know, so the whole book is to hopefully inspire people to share their faith. It's, it's really not as difficult. It's not a formula. People aren't projects. It's relational. Yeah. Well, and there's so many different topics in this book that are so accessible to Kara. We're just about out of time, but there's a couple things that really had my attention as well. And I know horses are a big part of the farm and there's a topic about what horses teach us about our creator. And I'm curious, as you've spent time with God's beautiful animal kingdom as well, what are some things that you've learned, some lessons maybe, and what they've taught you about who God is? Well, they're very forgiving. Mm. So the integrity of God that he says all the things about us that he says, you know, there are a few things God can't do. And one is he can't go up back on his promise. He does not lie. Um, all the things he says about us, um, ring true and he will not leave us nor forsake us. And, you know, our horses are so forgiving. Uh, we don't always do things right and we make mistakes, but those horses always come back to us. So God will God's always there. He's always there. So just ask for forgiveness and keep on trucking. Yeah, I love it. yeah and that's great stuff. Again, the book is Fields of Grace and uh, really about evangelism. I think that's intriguing that you went that direction with it too, Kara. And I assume that the book can be picked up in all the usual channels, the Amazons of the world. And, and uh, do you have a website as well that you can direct listeners to? Yeah, you know, it's I don't really put the focus on me. I put it on uh, Jesus. So I, like I said, I this isn't a career for me. Yeah. All the money that is my portion of these books goes right to charity. And um, I just want to get the word out. Well, I love this is the Lord, man. He is indeed. And I love the integrity of that. And, and just the idea that you want to get that word out in, in a time when a lot of people are sort of spinning their own little ministries and vocations and stuff. The fact that you're doing this, it's uh, great stuff. Again, if you're listening this morning, Fields of Grace is the book. Kara Whitney is the author. And thanks so much for taking the time with us this morning. You got it. Thanks for having me. For sure. We'll take a short break and wrap up our show here for the 20th of July on Mornings Without Carmen. Boy, Paul, I think I'm out of breath from that hour. That was amazing <laughs> with uh, Dr. Nix at the start yeah. of it with all of the questions coming in. And, of course, Kara was great just to kind of give us at least a little bit of a breath and remember about our faith. We're covering so many different headlines, mm-hmm. so many things that are important. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves on the farm and we found ourselves in the simplicity of the gospel. It was lovely to have her on. It definitely need to slow down and just, you know, look, God gave us a beautiful world to teach us a lot. Yeah. To just encourage us and to support it. I mean... 
I spent so much time driving in the beautiful areas right. of uh, the Upper Peninsula. It was like uh, you see God's handiwork, and it's just it, it calms you down. Yeah, His wonder is definitely reflected in His creation, even though it's still just the shadows of that which is to come. Even though the trees are waiting and creation's waiting and groaning for its release, it still is a great fa- foreshadowing of the wonder, wonderful reconciliation that is to come. So appreciated what uh, Kara said as well, and we'll just leave it here today with the idea that the gospel really does have as an essential part of it good friday and the suffering and the death and 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 what jesus did in taking on the sins of the world as the perfect and beautiful lamb of god who took away the sins of the world but without that sunday morning without that easter without him walking into the waters of death and coming out the other side thus having broken the power of sin and death we ultimately would have no hope so we celebrate that again here today that we are people who are still walking within a world that is stuck in the power of sin and death but we can walk in the power of the life of the kingdom of god as seen in his beautiful son jesus fun to be with you again today we'll catch you tomorrow morning on mornings without carmen thanks for listening to this podcast of mornings with carmen laburge from faith radio if you haven't you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through itunes or the google play music app That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.